0: was heard in the Amazing Spider-Man movie as Peter whacked his alarm clock right after he got Spider-Powers. This is episode 229 for May 2013. The Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They have discounts that start at 38 and they go up to 75% off the cover price of new comics and trades. An example on this episode is on Superior Spider-Man Team-Up number one. and this one, Spidey takes on the Avengers again. And the cover price is three dollars and ninety nine cents. Mail order has it for just a buck ninety nine, which is fifty percent off the cover price. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. All right, let's tackle Spider History Jr. We're going back to the year I was born, May of nineteen seventy
1: five. Well, yes, indeed, you you were born, and I think I was eleven years old in the sixth grade at the time. Right. So.
0: Amazing 144 came out this month, uh, written by Jerry Conway, art by Ross Andrew. Uh, the sto- the story is called The Delusion Conspiracy. It's got a classic Spider-Man cover of Gwen Stacy's boot. Uh, and you see Spider-Man with the word balloon, I must be seeing things. You can't be standing there. You're dead. So that's t- tell us what happened in this one, JR.
1: Well, you're not supposed to. know It's Gwen Stacy's boot yet. Jeez, you know, I mean, you're supposed to read the story. Yeah. You just it's,
0: gave it away. You just gave it away. It's thirty eight years later for those spoiler
1: alerts. Oh you suck, uh, bro. Right. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, amazing Spider Man number number one forty four. Uh basically Spider Man faces a deadly French supervillain. And uh, you know, you kinda gotta rack your head to think of how many French supervillains are out there. I'm you know, I think Captain America have Batrock the Leaper or something. Yep. And uh, and then Mr. Incredible's got Bomb Voyage. But those are, the only, uh, <laughs> those, those are the only French supervillains I can think of. Probably because, you know, since in France they don't use deodorant, you know. Oh, uh, probably prob, Probably, you know, the, the good guys can smell the French supervillains a mile away, so the French villains can't get any element of surprise. So if we you know, have pe- any
0: French listeners out there,
1: I apologize in sure. advance. So pe- pe- Pepe Le Pew, indeed. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, uh, forgettable, uh, forgettable supervillain aside, uh, this this is actually this is the second part of a two-parter, issue one forty-three and one forty-four. These these actually include two of the most significant uh, uh, incidents in Spider the Spider Man mythology. Um, so let's actually let's go back to issue 141 and 142 because that's actually what kicks off this story because, as you recall back then, uh, J. Jonah Jameson had funded Mysterio II, uh also known as Danny Burkhart, and uh, J- after Burkhart's arrest in issue 142, Jameson thought it would be a pretty good idea to leave town for a while and, and, and take a vacation. Well, issue 143 begins or, you know, basically the, the plot starts going when Robbie tells Peter that he thinks that Jonah has been kidnapped because he got a telegram from France. Uh, it's almost like the code heads. Where are you from? From France. Uh, he got a telegram from France <laughs> telling, telling Robbie to bring a million dollars. And of course, you know, when whenever Jonah, you know, wants you to pull out money, uh, from, from his or the day that accounts, you know, that something's gotta be wrong. That's not really Jonah. Um, but it's funny that Robbie asked Peter to go with him. You know, Peter. Peter and Robbie says, "I'm go, I'm going to go to France, and I want you to go with me." So you know, if so, Rob. Jonas kidnapped. Robbie's going into a dangerous situation. Does he bring like a crime reporter, or does he does he bring somebody you know like uh, somebody from security or something like that to go with him? No, he brings the photographer. Which <laughs> you know, which, which to me, you know, I all, I always believe that if he, it would in. Um, when Peter came back from London uh, in issue like 96 or something like that with pictures and I always thought that was when Robbie figured it out finally because he just Robbie stares at the pictures for a minute and Peter goes oh god I was so worried about you know when finding out that thinking I was Spider-Man that uh, you know I forgot Robbie and so I always figured that was when Robbie finally pieced things together and so it's, it's more than just coincidence or a convenient story element that Robbie is asking Peter to go with him but anyway so They go to, um, anyway, the the significant event that happens here is they're waiting in the airport. Uh, and Mary Jane is waiting with them, uh, as Peter goes, as Peter's getting ready to go, and they just sort of start getting closer together, and Peter asks her, you know, why do you always call me Tiger? And then something just happens. Then Peter and Mary Jane share their first passionate kiss, and uh, Conway has a caption that says, And neither he nor she will ever be the same. And for once for one of the very few times in comics that statement is actually true. Nice. Uh, so there there's a significant and in fact this moment is even referenced in that uh, great uh, since was it the sensation was it a sensational annual? Uh was it I'm trying to remember, was it Fracture that wrote that story? Yes, yes. Um yep. Yeah, where they where they go through Ma- Ma- Peter and Mary Jane's memories, and so that uh, that moment that uh, this just this very moment is referenced. So there's mm-hmm. that significant event, and then no sugar they get to France. They get to France that uh, Robbie is kidnapped, and Spider Man meets the French supervillain Cyclone. All right, oui, oui. So, at, so after <laughs> so after Spider Man. Uh, So after Spider-Man gets his uh, head handed to him by Cyclone, of course, you know, being Cyclone, he turns into a tornado. Um, We we go into issue 144, in which uh, Spider-Man uses the first three pages to tell the reader what happened in the last issue. And looking back, he looks like an absolute loon because he's talking to himself. You know, it is Spider man is hopping from rooftop to rooftop, literally reciting out loud the plot of the first part of the story. So, and then and then he he says, "I remember how surprised I was when Robbie showed it to me, or rather to Peter Parker." So he's like, he has to remind himself. That you know that not one that he, that he's also Peter Parker and that Robbie showed this letter to him while he was in his civilian identity. It just it just Man. looks weird. But again, you know, seventies. This is typical seventies exposition. So, yeah. anyways, he's remembering this. You know, we um, we go back to the states and an event happens in, in the, that was, almost never happened in Spider-Man comics ever. Aunt May has a heart attack uh or some kind of some kind of seizure attack or are attacker things because of she and anna Watson are getting ready to go out for a you know for a fun night on the town you know which you know senior citizen ladies i mean what what kind of fun they can they be going out for probably bingo or you know or something like that um or or I don't know maybe they're going to go to the nursing home and uh you know uh you know, rubbed-down guys like Nathan Lebinsky who can't use the, you know, lower half of their bodies. I don't know. Ah, but uh, <laughs> But uh, <laughs> anyway, so they, they go outside, and as they're walking, Aunt May pass, passes out because she sees somebody that she shouldn't be seeing, that doesn't belong there at all. But of course, we'll have to wait till the end of the story to find out who. But anyway, we go back to France. And um, Peter is being threatened by some of Cyclone's goons, and they tell him to, uh, you know, that if he wants to see Robbie and Jonah alive again, he'll bring the money that they brought with him uh, for, as a ransom. To bring it tomorrow evening to Notre Dame, or you will never see your friends alive again. So Peter then hops on a plane and goes to South Bend. And, you know, while he's waiting there in South Bend, Robbie and Joan are killed because Peter forgot, Peter didn't realize that they were actually talking about the Cathedral of Notre Dame and not the University of Notre Dame. Wah, wah, the end. Okay, well, anyway, since that one obviously went over like a lead balloon, um, you know, Peter decides (laughs) to um, bring the, uh, he, he, he he the, um, he gets the ransom money, but before he goes to deliver it, he gets a brilliant idea. And he goes to a hardware store, and he buys something. And you wonder, ooh, boy, you know, what clever gadget could Spidey be thinking of? Because, after all, the guy is a a scientific genius. So he's got to be constructing something just staggeringly brilliant to confront a villain by the name of Cyclone. All right, so... (laughs) The, the conclusion happens you know this big confrontation spider-man confronts cyclone in the cathedral and then he pulls the the he pulls down a, a curtain and reveals his master device which is a giant fan and so he, so a cyclone is coming spider-man turns on the giant fan which creates a counter vortex and knocks cyclone into the wall and knocks him out Wow. And, Spider-Man, and Spider-Man says, "Never underestimate the genius of good old Yankee ingenuity, Cyclone. You know, bring you down every time. So, Man. I mean, but you know, hey, it's a French supervillain. I mean, you know, I mean, of course he was going to get taken out in no lame way. Um, I, is, and, I have a little. Oh,
0: go ahead, Jar. I got a little bit more about Cyclone once you once you wrap that issue up.
1: Okay, uh, but in the end, Peter mm-hmm. Peter's. Uh, uh, goes home, but Anna Watson is standing at his doorstep, and you know, oh my God, Mrs. Watson, what's wrong? Anna goes, Peter, your your aunt May is in the hospital. I don't know how to explain it, but go up to your apartment. And so Peter races up to the apartment, flings open the door, and finds none other than Gwen Stacy. Here's a, another significant moment. We have one of the greatest cliffhangers in Spider-Man history. Just who the hell is this, and yeah. can she possibly be Gwen Stacy? And this kicks off the preamble to the original Clone Saga. Da, 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 da.
0: So, so the, 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 the guy that... Oh, go ahead, here, I'm sorry. I, no, I'm to,
1: here. I was about to say, but you know, that's not the only thing we get in this, this issue. We also get another great hostess, Fruit Pie, ad. Ooh, uh, which one was this one? Well, hey, you know, first of all, Spider-Man is captured by a bunch of goons, and they put him, <laughs> they, they, they put him in a windowless, five-foot-thick con- five concrete security cell. And Spider-Man is in this cell now, and it's be- he's being guarded by a guy, and he's saying, rest, they really got me, unless... And then Spider-Man goes, hey, would you be a nice guy and let me out of here? And the thug goes, no chance, webhead. Not even for a million bucks. No. Then how about for some delicious Hostess fruit pies? And Spider-Man <laughs> sticks his hand out the, through the bars and shows him the Hostess fruit pie. Now, where was Spider-Man hiding these fruit pies? <laughs> no. I mean, Gross. I mean, you know, was was it was, was you know was he hiding them in the same place the tombstone was hiding the scissors we, we, we talked about a few oh, months ago in oh, oh, tangled man. web. So anyway, you know. So, anyway, the, the guy goes, Oh, gee, you got Hostess Fruit Pies? You know, and Spider Man says, Never go anyplace without them. And you could have them all if you set me free. So, of course, you know, the guy sets him free. You know, and, uh, you know, now to take care of the boss man and the rest of the gang. Between my webbing and delicious Hostess Fruit Pies, they haven't got a chance. So, this you know, one we have. the
0: title of the fruit pie ad. Some of
1: them well, it, just, it just says Spider Man and the Trap.
2: Which is, has,
1: okay. which is about as exciting as an electric company uh, title. You know, Spider-Man <laughs> Meets the Wall or, you know, yeah. Spider-Man <laughs> Gets
0: the Enema or something like that. That's funny. Let me give you a little history of that uh, Cyclone character. i going by the Wikipedia page on it, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, Andre Girard was uh, the character's name of Cyclone, and he was evidently killed back in the 1980s by Scourge. Um, in Captain America 319, in July of 86, he was killed. Cyclone attended a meeting at the bar with no name in Ohio to deal with the Scourge and was shot to death by Scourge by a Scourge agent posing as the bartender.
3: Fred, though, so, what uh, you're trying to say is scourge.
0: I like Scourge better. He's Scourge. It's like that Swedish chef. Scourge, Scourge, Scourge. Uh, Then, as if that was not enough, what happened to Cyclone? His DNA was later used by Armin Zola to create a proto-husk. And this proto-husk attacked and was killed by Deadpool in Deadpool Volume 3, Number Zero. All right. And if that wasn't enough, he came back again. Uh, he returned from the dead in the 2007-2008 Captain Marvel miniseries, but it re- was revealed that this is really a scroll imposter and it was killed by Captain Marvel. Okay, we're not done with this dead dude yet. The original Cyclone was later among the 18 victims of, what's the word? I'm, I can't say it, Scourge. He was resurrected by the Hood, using the power of Dormammu. See, God. I got that one. Great. As part <laughs> of a squad. Assembled to eliminate the Punisher in Punisher Volume 7, Number 5. After the Punisher has captured, he is captured, he is present at the ritual where the Hood intends to resurrect the Punisher's family. The Hood then gives the Punisher a knife to sacrifice G.W. Bridge, but the Punisher instead uses the knife to slash Cyclone's throat in Punisher Volume 7, Number 10. So, poor guy. And yeah, if that was. And the guy died, what, three times? (laughs) So there was another Cyclone. (laughs) And he appeared in Marvel Comics Presents 97 in December of 92. Gregory Stevens acquired the Cyclone costume at the bar with no name. He participated in a bar fight initiated by the Impossible Man, posing as the Ace of Spades in a poker game. He later assisted various agents of Justin Hammer in attacking Silver Sable in the Wild Pack in Silver Sable 21-22, to 22, and he never sang a word in all of his appearances. Steven was killed in a skiing accident in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe 2006, number three. He died off-panel, the second one, as if that oh, was God. not enough cyclones.
1: A Just third... like the way Sonny Bono died. <laughs>
0: mm. A third cyclone appeared in Thunderbolts, number three. Pierre Fresen was a member of a European crime family who was given the recreated Cyclone suit. Not wishing to serve the European crime family any longer, he stole the suit and fled. And now he operated as an agent of Justin Hammer before being recruited by Hammer's first incarnation of the Masters of Universe. Anyway, during the Civil War storyline, someone... That looks like cyclone popped up in Hammerhead's villain army when S.H.I.E.L.D. attacked their headquarters in Civil War War Crimes No. 1. So we have three, count them, three cyclones, J.R. My God.
1: Well, you know what they say, you can't keep a good French supervillain down. <laughs>
0: All right, what's, what else came out? We've only got two Spider-Man comics this month, Jr. Marvel Team Up, number 33, came out in May of 1975, written by Jerry Conway. Our buddy Sal Buscema did art. The title of this one, Anybody Here Know a Guy Named Meteor Man? <laughs> Spider-Man teamed up with Nighthawk from the Defenders in this one. Tell me what happens, Jr.
1: Well, uh, yeah, this this story could also be called Give Jerry Conway a Blood Transfusion because his heart bled so much in this one. Uh, so, which, <laughs> which you'll find out, you know, how, uh, uh, why later. But anyway, yeah, we start out with Nighthawk coming home. And I really don't know what the purpose, what the whole point of Nighthawk is. He seems like a Batman ripoff. He's a rich guy by the name of Kyle Raymond who decided to wear a costume of a flying creature and fight crime. You know, and you know, he was always to me. He was always one of the bottom feeder of superheroes. I mean, you know, he was a member of the Defenders and what else. I mean, did he ever have a solo book? Did he ever have a mini? Did anything? I mean, this.
0: He, he had a mini in the two thousands, but that was about it. He's he's kind of a C D list hero.
1: I was about, yeah. You know, I was about to say you got to go pretty far down in the alphabet. I mean, he had no
4: C <laughs> he, yeah, he was just no. He was an
3: he was like an odd recreation of the same guy from Squadron Supreme, right?
1: I have no idea.
3: I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it was it was very 'cause the Nighthawk pal Raymond he says his name, I think it's the same name. He was the Batman character in the Squadron Supreme, which was obviously a takeoff of Justice League, which later turned into Supreme Power and whatnot. But um I don't know how he made it into the
0: regular Marvel universe. I don't either. I don't know Nighthawk's history very well.
1: Well, anyway, the the what, regardless of his significance, uh, he does start off his story, uh, and on his way when he comes home, he discovers a strange costume figure stealing a meteor specimen that Kyle Richmond had purchased from a science museum, and just as he's about to approach this costume figure, the costume figure slugs him but knocks him out and escapes in his helium balloon. So you know this has <laughs> got to be a real fierce guy, you know, who blows up a giant balloon and gets away. All right, yeah. probably the same fierce character villain we talked about last month, I think, when Spider-Man teamed up with Black Giant Man. But anyway, uh, so Richmond, you know, Kyle wakes up and researches the, you know, he says, oh, I think I recognize that guy. And he finds the old, an old story of... The, the looter, being arrested. And he says, aha, that's the looter. In fact, that's why I bought this specimen of a meteor from a science museum, was because I was researching the looter. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, you know, coincidences are, you know, I mean, whatever. We've only got 17 pages to tell this story, so I guess all the coincidences we can uh, use are, uh, are handy. And then Nighthawk remembers that there was a connection between the looter and Spider-Man, so he goes looking for Spider-Man. Well, this story actually takes place right after Amazing Spider-Man 144, as, you know, Jerry Conway was writing both titles at this time. Spider-Man's not a very good man, for obvious reasons. So he's swinging through the city, and when his spider sense goes off and he sees, you know, he, he sees his Batman ripoff flying toward him, he overreacts and he knocks him out. And then, you know, after Nighthawk wakes up, and he and Spidey argue a little bit. Then they compare notes on the looter and decide to split, split up and learn what he's, what he's up to. So Spidey says, I'm going to his old lab. And, and Nighthawk goes to the prison where the looter escaped from. Well, and, then he, and here's where Conway loses a quarter or two of blood. Because here, here's <laughs> the narration as, as Nighthawk flies to the prison. A familiar figure darts across the upstate New York countryside, heading toward the hulking gray building, which stands as a symbol of the law and order, in quotes, society. A society too frightened to accept its own capability in producing criminals. A society that prefers to hide its evil side rather than trying to change it. <laughs> you know, what is this bullshit? You know? <laughs> That's my job. Hey, I- Alone. You know, you know Conway, he was, I did a little research, he was 22, we, know, we all know that Conway was pretty young when he was writing inspiring so, you know, he was 22 years old, so I guess, you know, if you're a 22-year-old, New York, you know, in the mid-1970s, you know, you're probably spending too much time reading The Village Bo- Village Boys Smoking Weed, and hanging out with a bunch of long-haired, shoeless hippies, so yeah. I guess that, you know, that must be the explanation, you know, of why he, he's, he has this utterly stupid, ham-fisted, you know, uh, statement in here. But anyway, so the warden, tell, the warden decides to tell him the story of Norton G. Fester. Of course, as, as you remember from our conversation a month or so ago, Norton G. Fester is the secret identity of the looter. Well, apparently, he, had, he thought he had lost his powers after his confrontation with Spider-Man way back. In Amazing Spider-Man number 36. Yes, indeed, the looter was a Ditko villain. Okay. Obviously, Ditko did not hit a home run every time out. But anyway, uh, so anyway, Norton G, Norton G. Fester was a model prisoner, and then the, the warden decided, well, we'll put this guy in with one of our scumbag prisoners, and he'll he'll make the scumbag prisoner turn over a new leaf. Yeah, well, you know, uh, the, the, the the warden apparently got his uh, sci- uh, psychiatric degree from the same place that Kyle Richmond is going to get his, uh, as as you see when Richmond makes a, a marvelous observation later. Anyway, the scumbag prisoner bullies Fester. Fester gets mad, tears apart a steel bunk with his bare hands, realizes that, holy cow, he never lost his powers, uh, smashes a hole out the prison door, and goes free. Okay. Wow. So, after listening to this story, Nighthawk, being, you know, a trained psychologist, is able to make a clinical diagnosis of Norton Fester because he tells the warden, why wasn't Fester treated by a psychiatrist? The man is obviously seriously ill. Okay. You know, <laughs> how, how did you determine that? You know, and the mm-hmm. warden says, well, that's not my our responsibility. And Nighthawk responds, that's right. You just keep the men caged, Right, Warden? You know, and then, of course, you know, at, at, by by that time, you know, I mean, Nighthawk's wrist is seriously, seriously limp right now. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So anyway, and looking for the looter spy, uh, Spider-Man is jumped by his old foe, who announces to Spidey as he's clobbering that he's no longer the looter, but the Meteor Man, which, you know, which admittedly does sound a little bit better and wasn't really a bad name until Robert Townsend took it for uh, one of his, for his rather lackluster superhero comedy mm-hmm. movie. But the uh, anyway, man. yeah, yeah. So anyway, but the media anyway, the meteor man after beating up Spider Man starts to get away with his helium balloon again, and the Spider Man <laughs> tries to jump and catch the helium balloon. He misses and starts plummeting to his death when Nighthawk catches him. So anyway, so okay. now you know they're, they're they're sitting on a rooftop together, and Nighthawk tells Spider Man, "I don't want to go after the meteor man anymore." Spider Man says, "Why?" And Nighthawk goes, because he's a sick man, and I'm not sure that sending him back to prison is the sort of help he needs. <laughs> well, you know, of course, Spider-Man responds in a pretty similar manner as a you know, certain podcaster you guys all might know and love. And uh, <laughs> Spider-Man responds by saying something to the effect of, uh, what should we do, give him some roses and send him on his way? Anyway, then he, then he accuses Nighthawk of being a coward, and Nighthawk punches his lights out. <laughs> so, bum bum. So, and the story concludes. Well, actually, the story doesn't conclude, really. I mean, it just ends because the story actually concludes next month, and Marvel Team up number 34. With what Valkyrie, didn't she come in? With- with Valkyrie. Spider-Man teams yeah. up with Valkyrie, because in the old Marvel team-up days, if you had more than one parter, uh the, the, the hero Spidey teamed up with in the first part always found a convenient way to leave, so you could bring in a, another hero in the second part. So the second part opens with Nighthawk going back to Defenders HQ, running into Valkyrie. Valkyrie you know, says, "You know, gee, you look so pissed off, and Nighthawk says, yeah, because... You know, Spider-Man wanted to beat up this guy. I obviously knew from all of my psychiatric training that was mentally ill. You know, and uh, so I decided I wasn't going to, uh, you know, fight him anymore. And Valkyrie says, "Are you nuts?" You know, so he, she jumps off. Her, she jumps on her flying horse and goes <laughs> to look for the meteor man. But uh, that's literally what she does. She jumps on her flying horse. So anyway, yeah. uh, anyway, Valkyrie does defeat the meteor man by popping his blue, and he crashes into the <laughs> ground.
0: Yeah, she she, villain, she, she, and I need to get out of pop, town. I'm hopping on a balloon. Yeah. yeah, she
1: pops his balloon. She throws her sword at, it, at his balloon, which she calls dragon Fang, the sword that is. So, you know, she's got a flying horse. And she, you know, she gives names to her weaponry, and she's got, you know, and she's got a metal bra. So, you know, this this is a woman who obviously has some serious issues. Uh, so, you know, the, the bad guys go down pretty lamely this month. Spider Man defeats Siphon by turning on a giant fan, and Valkyrie pops Meteor Man's balloon. So.
0: <laughs> But the, the first, uh, yeah
1: was good or bad month, what do you say, JR? Average? Oh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was okay. I mean, you know, like I said, uh, 143 and 144, I mean, it's it's actually, a, you know, laying Super Hill on the side. It's actually a pretty uh, fairly important moment in the Spider-Man mythology. If you're looking at, uh, you know, if you're looking for touch points in Spider-Man's history, uh, he and Mary Jane sharing their passionate first kiss, and then, you know, his first confrontation with the Gwen clone. Uh, you know, this is, this is for, you know, history purposes. This is a must for your collection. Um, uh, you know, and of course the Marvel team up, you know, that was, you know, it was typical 70s Marvel team up, you know, you got two heroes, one villain, and you got 17 pages to tell the story. So you're not going to get many gems with that kind of limitation.
0: At least it was 16 more than the uh, fruit pie ad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, but the, yeah, but at least the fruit pie ad spared us this overbearing political commentary by somebody who wasn't old enough, who wasn't even friggin' old enough to shave, let alone make a comment about about crime in society. So.
0: Oh, I love it. Good job, Jr. As usual. All right, we've got another segment, uh, Bertone's Bios, and who are we tackling this month, Mr. Bertone?
5: We're going to tackle uh, Mrs. Muggins, uh, one of the people who uh, was actually uh, left out of the Floating Heads of Guilt fight with Doc Ock, and I, I don't know why, because she's such an essential character, the Spider-Man. Actually, <laughs> um, I don't remember if it was Formspring, Twitter, or CBR. But Slot said at one point that he was very, very close to putting Miss muggins um in a script recently, but he decided not to.
0: Seriously, what? we haven't seen her since the 80s, I think, right?
5: Yeah, it would have been very late 80s, um, because a- after Peter left that apartment, um, which, well, actually, let, let's not get ahead of ourselves. It starts okay, in Amazing ahead. Spider-Man 139. Peter has to look for a new apartment because, uh, Harry blew up their last one and he's staying with Flash Thompson at the time, but, uh, it's, it's cramped and he needs his own place. So Liz takes him to an apartment on Chelsea Street and, uh, that's where the landlady – well, she's not exactly the landlady in this story, and it's weird because she introduces herself as uh, Mamie and talks about her husband Barney, but she always was referred to as Miss Muggins thereafter. She never, you know, let Peter refer to her by uh, her first name after that story. And this is actually – this is only a few months before the story that J.R. covered. This is, you know, uh Conway, very, you know, right before the Clone Saga – and, uh, Mamie Muggins shows Peter around the apartment and talks about her husband Barney, but mentions that the landlord pays them, uh, the superintendent is, is her husband, and she's merely the superintendent's wife who is showing people around, so she's not actually the landlady. Either that gets retconned or, you know, the, someone can make up a story behind the scenes that they inherit the building or something, but thereafter she's referred to as the landlady, and, mm-hmm. Alright, what's going on in the chat window? Can I... Oh, nothing,
0: nothing, nothing, Okay,
5: every time, every one time someone does that, I think it's like, Bertoni, we can't hear you, or there's someone screaming in the background <laughs> getting murdered, or the cops are coming again. <laughs> and it's, yeah, Peter's in his styling jacket in this story too. And this, this apartment building that Peter was in, and we mentioned this on the, one of the Spider Jeopardies, it was one of the longest running, um, residences for Peter Parker, because he stays into it, into it, uh, until issue three hundred, like well into the you know at the very very beginning <laughs> of the marriage, and now it's kind of you know he usually changes apartments every few years, but it was notable because it had the skylight and everything.
0: Yeah, when I think of Peter's apartment, I always think of this one because of that skylight. Yeah.
5: It's distracting. Just glance. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, dude. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
4: wow.
5: <laughs> and it's for, for the.
0: For the audio listeners, I just wrote in the chat window, in the future, don't reference the chat window. It's
5: distracting. Just glance at, at the it. then, for <laughs> Tony, don't read out the, loud the post that said don't reference it. In the future, them. don't put superfluous messages in the chat window. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's distracting. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> Go ahead. Lori Grant actually lived in this building for a while, but then she moved out. But Conway didn't know that she moved out, and he still wrote her as living there when he returned in the 80s for the Lobo Brothers arc. And uh, but this isn't about the apartment It's about Mrs. Muggins. And b- imagine Mr. Roper and Mr. Furley had a baby that went through menopause. That would be Mrs. Muggins. It's always like, you know, your noise is too loud and, you know, and and maybe, you know, I'll put a little bit of Mr. Dickovich in there, too, because she was always after him for rent. And um, I remember the Julia Carpenter Spider Woman story where, like, she finally is happy that she's able to evict him. But Peter gets, um, he finds, I think, a savings account that Uncle Ben set up and he's able to, like, get ahead in his rent. And Mrs. Muggins can barely believe it that Peter Parker is finally up to date with his rent. And uh, she had a niece.
2: What, uh,
0: what, what issues were that? What, what were you talking about, the Julia Carpenter stuff? When what, what was that happening?
5: That was um, spectacular around one, tw- the mid-120s or so. Oh, okay, like right when um, the the uh, Spider-Girl 2 came
0: out, or Spider-Woman 2, after Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I got you, I got you. And
5: um, Mrs. Muggins had a niece, Candy, of the Randy, Candy, and Bambi trio who were – I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, you you didn't know that that was uh – the the mug and oh,
0: No, I, I I didn't put that together. I just I guess I just never noticed
5: it. Mm-hmm. Well, she does, and she was really really stupid because um she found little at pieces of evidence over the years that Peter was Spider Man, including you know as Jr said in a recent Spider History, drunkenly swinging at Spider Man on the roof uh, in the issue one fifty six, and then at one point Felicia Hardy showing up to the apartment building in full costume asking oh, for God. Peter Parker. And Mrs. Muggins, mm-hmm. like, just the in the next issue, yells at Peter, you know, oh, your crazy girlfriend was over here looking for you. As a pan-
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> nice. Yeah, but you know, she never caught him, but she's always yelling about parties and crazy stuff going on there and yelling at him about his rent. You know, she, she was a big – when I think of Spider-Man books in the 80s, I think of that apartment and I think of Miss Muggins. And... Uh, when Peter moved from the apartments uh, right after the marriage because of Venom, there was no reason for her to be in the stories, so she was kind of dropped. But another reason, too, is a lot of people were dropped. And people blame that on the marriage, but it's also because there was an editorial shift. And, like, the people who were writing those books, like, it went from the Tom DeFalco era to the David Michelinie era. So, but in one of her final issues, which was – let me pull it up. It's issue – 38 of Webb, Peter's having a goodbye party, you know, and the whole supporting mm-hmm. cast is there. And uh, he uh, he has to go fight the Hobgoblin, but somebody spiked the punch. So you have a drunk Spider-Man fighting the Hobgoblin. and
0: It's a good issue.
5: Yeah, I like Hobgoblin saying, you're drunk. And then Spider-Man saying, no, you're drunk. And Peter goes back to the party angrily saying, who spiked the punch? And then uh, this old guy <laughs> in the corner says, I just want to liven things up a little bit. And then everyone says in unison, Mr. Muggins. And that's when we finally meet Barney, Mrs. Muggins' husband. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, but maybe that's why Mrs. Muggins was always drunk. Maybe, you know, just to, like, <laughs> keep her at bay and keep the marriage interesting. He was always spiking her drinks. And uh, <laughs> so she gets one last little jab in at Peter, you know, and elbows him. Like, get out of my way, Parker. I'll deal with you later. And Peter says, you'll be happy to know that I'll have my... Money to pay my final month's rent tomorrow. And then she says, good riddance to bad rubbish. You won't be missed. And then he kisses her on the lips and says, but Mrs. Muggins, I'll definitely miss you. And, and that was the end of her from the book. It's sealed with a kiss.
0: May of 1988 was the last time we saw her. huh? never saw her again. Wow. Web 38, May of 88. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, what? Would, uh, elaborate just a little bit more. What slot was? Where, when did slot want to bring her in?
5: He he didn't say. He just said that there's something going on in the background. No one else uh, hears no. that. No one. No one. Okay. Uh,
0: uh, nope.
5: Okay. It must be. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> there must there must be somebody else in my brain. I'll have to perform a <laughs> Bertoniectomy. those fools don't realize. Anyway, um, he didn't say, he just said that, like, he was talking about continuity, and he said that, like, he almost put Mrs. Muggins in a script recently. And I don't remember where I read that, but it, it was on one of the social media things that he uses.
0: Well, it's been 25 years since we've uh, last seen her.
5: Right, yeah, we saw, I think it was Bambi that we saw, not Candy, recently. Right. And, um yeah. the Grady Scraps, you know, doorway to head to time machine arc.
0: Yep. Alright. Well thank you, sir. Any any thoughts about next month who you want to tackle?
5: <laughs> it's funny because it's I, I usually see like who's in the issue, and there was actually lots of people in this issue that I could have chosen. I just picked <laughs> Mrs. Muggins because to be quite honest, it's um I'm doing overnight shifts at work all week and Mrs. Muggins was one that I knew well enough that I wouldn't have to have research, and I don't know, you know, how much I could do with... Well, actually, you could do a lot with Landspan, and he was mentioned, but, like, some some of those characters, they... You know, they were only bit people in the background. You know, you couldn't get more than like one paragraph out of them.
2: Well, a
0: couple of characters was Lance Bannon, the uh, one that had the blonde girlfriend that was started kissing on Peter, and when Mary Jane opened the door after uh, she's been gone for a long time, was who, who's that blonde? Yeah, uh, Amy Powell. Okay. Amy Powell, yeah. She would be good, and so would Lance. Like, a two-parter of those two, I think, would be fun.
5: Lance Bannon, who came back, you know, from obscurity, only to be killed. Yes, and, by Facade, right? Yes, his, the the murder never solved.
0: But who is Facade?
5: Yeah, yeah. But, uh, we do not know. <laughs> we do not know. Another thing to- that was almost mentioned in that Grady Scraps two-parter.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Well, good job, Bertoni. Let's uh, move on to our other segment that we have, which is Spider Satellites with Kevin. How many uh, satellite books do we have this month to talk about? I think this is an all-time low number. We have four. All right.
3: Um, Four out of five titles because we uh, recorded the segment late last month, and we're recording it on the first of this month, so a new issue of Avenging has not appeared yet. Okay. So first up, we have my favorite and yours, Venom. (laughs) Venom number 34. Let's talk about this. Venom fights toxin. Toxin kills the alien-backed guy. Venom beats Toxin with his own serum. Alien-backed guys, aliens from his back, assimilate hobos. (laughs) I'm giving this issue an F-. (laughs) (laughs) All I can say (laughs) is, oh my god. We finally get Venom and Toxin face-to-face, and it's a brainless fight... (laughs) with, frankly, poor art that includes the goddamn alien back guy, and when he's finally dead, we then get four more hobos just like him. What <laughs> is the point of this comic? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do we even know the name of the alien back hobo? Uh, alien back guy? In the uh, recaps, they're calling him The Figure. The Figure, the okay. Figure. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's
3: supposed to be where, like if we said The Dude or The Guy, they're just choosing a designated word to describe him in figure mm-hmm. or if it's supposed to be a capital F figure. What I mm. know is these four hobos are <laughs> going to be the symbiote slayers who have been teased for a couple of uh, solicitation rounds now and well, I mean, could you be more disappointed with what those turned out to be? Um,
0: <laughs> is, is anybody besides Kevin and myself reading Venom on the, on the call? Hell no.
4: No, no.
5: I, I, Kevin, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm...
4: I think my only appearance in this episode will be to come in and say I don't read Venom.
2: Okay, <laughs> 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 your cameo appearance. Just coming from
4: Chris
5: made a cameo to tell everybody that he does not read Venom. I'm I'm still reading it, so, but so my enjoyment if... of it has gone down. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, Kevin, where does this rank then compared with the little people story arc? <laughs>
5: Um, uh, you have a lot of fun with the little people
1: story arc, so I can't imagine that being any worse. But I don't know, four hobos sounds like it might, you know, it might <laughs> top that.
0: Yeah, where does four hobos rank with little people, Kev?
3: This makes minimum carnage look like the better issues of Scarlet Spider.
0: Wow. Wow, it's that bad. You don't like it that much. Wow. I, it I have F- not re-
3: minus Brad. There's a yeah. That means I want not just my money but my time back.
0: <laughs> my bread. Keep your receipt and your watch.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and this is let's let's back up for a second. Remember that okay. Kevin, you're hearing from now is a guy who over the past months to year years has decided I was, let's say, way too caustic and mean to comics on this podcast for a long time, and I really try to be more fair these days. I try not to insult the people that made the comics because there has to be a distinction, and I'm trying to be, in general, a little bit more mellow about these things. This is not the guy that originally came out with prison ass, and yet (laughs) you're getting an F-minus from me.
4: (laughs) For the side of prison Uh. (laughs) ass.
3: I mean this is so like sc- offensively bad. This is insult my intelligence and just grab my money bad.
4: Wow. The new right. the new Kevin gives everything an F but he feels sorry about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the new Kevin comes with guilt. <laughs> Uh, oh, all right, Kev, so so you like this one. Uh. <laughs> I mean, this is to
3: the point where I've been thinking about whether I can keep doing this or if I'm going to have to ask somebody else to fill in for Venom on spider satellites.
0: Is there it, any pros to the F-minus book? No. None. Cannot None. get an F-minus
3: and have even
0: one pro. Okay. <laughs> it's not possible. That's a good okay. point. <laughs> All right, oh, all, right, all, right. <laughs> all right, okay. um, all right, all right. Uh, any other comments on the Venom book, or have you killed it? Let's, ooh, 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 let's, let's just not. Um, okay. Next book then. Last
3: week we got the other three books in one week. We got Scarlet Spider, Morbius, and Ultimate Spider-Man all dropped. So it was a pretty big Spider-Man satellite week. I'm gonna nice. I mean, start out with Scarlet Spider because, frankly, I need to wash that taste out of my mouth.
0: Cleanse the palate, if you will. Yeah. Um,
3: So, in this one, Kane gets dragged to a rodeo where he fights a drunken armadillo and ends up kissing his gal pal Annabelle. Also, we see Julia Carpenter's note to him, which cryptically reveals Shothra's coming. Mm -hmm. I'm giving this one an A. Can you see the spectrum going on here? Uh. (laughs) Scarlet Spider, uh, as a book, is really, really back to form this month. Um, after the last month, you may remember, I was very, very disappointed. But this was a very fun, one-and-done story, and it's about, of all things, the armadillo at the rodeo. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Can I ask you how if
2: Shathra came back?
0: We don't know. Refresh, re- refresh me, Shothra. Shathra is
3: also known as the spider wasp from early JMS days. The spider wasp. Extra dimensional okay. totemic spider wasp thing that preyed on Spider Man, turned into a girl for a while, and like uh, went on talk shows and said that she had an affair with Spider Man to draw him out. And in mm. the end, I believe Shother was killed by a crap load of spiders in
5: that temple.
0: This isn't the same one that had Betty Brant in the the st- uh,
3: bathroom that, stall.
5: That was the other. was Miss Arrow. Oh,
0: Arrow. That was other. Okay, got so it. So we're
3: bringing in all that stuff, basically.
0: Okay. Okay, got gotcha. it.
3: Um, I don't know why.
0: That's that sounds bad. Betty Brant in the bathroom stalls. Like, I'm Smith
3: not going to lie, <laughs> Shothra is not the greatest tease in the world. It doesn't have the most promise in the world, but. All it is in this comic is a little bit of a tease, and it's Chris Yost, so I can, I can at least think he might pull it off. So I'm not going to be taking off any points just because Shothra doesn't get me going. I mean, this this issue, the story that is in this issue, the main thrust of it, it it's, a, it's got everything you want in a Scarlet Spider comic, basically. It's got witty quips, it's got Scarlet Spider on a freaking horse, <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's silly, fun, and yet it keeps that character of Kane just perfect, where he hates this crap, and it's that perfect juxt- juxtaposition. Saying words, using using my vocabulary, um, to well to Kane is to to fo- to showcase it. So it, yeah. it was a perfect issue of Scarlet Spider, and it was a
0: really really
3: great up from last month.
0: So that's I crazy. wish more people would pick the book up. It is very good. I agree.
3: Yeah, and when it's on like this, it is on. Yeah.
0: Uh, Let's do another, uh, see who else is buying it. I know Zach is. Anybody else buying Scarlet Spider? I am, yes. Yeah. Hey, two appearances by Chris in this episode, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and I
4: agree with (laughs) Kevin. I didn't like the previous arc. Uh, but this one was great. This uh, It's funny because for a series that's supposedly about a gritty character and he's mostly fighting human traffickers and it's really dark, like the best issues are the ones where it's light and tries to be funny and features the supporting cast interacting with each other and having fun.
3: I think the best um, issue before this could arguably have been the uh, issue where he fought a bunch of Santas.
4: Yeah, and that was now was not over. on that
3: level or better.
4: Yeah, I think the Santa issue is my favorite Spider-Man-related comic of last year, and it's an offbeat choice, but I didn't have any more fun with anything else.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, uh, what else we got, Kev? Uh, we've got Morbius number four.
3: Okay. Oh.
0: You're ready for this one. So,
3: in this one, uh, we find out that Noah St. Germain, if you'll remember, he was the Ninja Turtles villain-looking dude that is the uh, the gang member... Uh, or the gang leader that Morbius has now killed twice. Um, we find out that he was once given an upgrade by, uh, it's revealed at the end of the issue, the mysterious figure that gave him the upgrade is none other than the Rose. And now nice. that, he's, now that uh, Noah St. Germain is dead, Morbius has to fight the Rose's guys with the gang that he had been fighting. Um, I'm giving this issue a C. It's still not putting me on the edge of my seat, but it's, A much better issue than last month and um, that's largely because it feels like there's actually a story that might be Mm -hmm. going somewhere as opposed to what we've been doing before which is just Morbius' in Brownsville fighting gang members for some reason. Uh, Introducing the Rose adds possibilities to things and I'm curious who that's going to turn out to be if it's a new rose or an old one I know there was a uh there was a rose in the jackpot miniseries but I didn't read that so I honestly don't even know if that rose survived or what his story was so uh the the catch here is that this rose has to be somebody that's been active long enough to have done those upgrades on Noah when he was younger
0: J.R. J. Bertoni, give me a little quick rose history it was it was Wilson I mean uh Richard Fitt, no right. it was it was Richard
5: Fisk.
4: Yeah
5: and then it was like and then it was supposedly Richard Fisk again, but then it was not really, it was like one of Richard Fisk's friends pretending to be Richard Fisk, and then there's the Blood Rose, and then there was the Jacob Conover Rose. Hmm. I still can't believe that happened. <laughs>
0: who, who was the Rose in the Jackpot mini or, or
5: around that time? I forgot that there was a rose in the jackpot mini until Kevin just mentioned it.
0: I, I
4: remember it, but I can't remember who it was. There was a there was a jackpot mini. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> so what made you drop your review job? Wasn't she, it? She changed her costume. No, that, one was, one the, one that, one that one was the that was the jackpot annual. Ja- uh, no,
3: the one uh, the one issue of the jackpot mini series that was reviewed, which was the first issue, was reviewed by Bertoni.
4: Oh. Yeah, Don's thinking when he said it's what made me drop the, doing the reviews, it, that was the annual of, in the first year of Brand New Day that featured Jackpot.
0: Mm.
4: But okay. I never read a miniseries with her. Jesus.
0: Let's go to – I read it. It wasn't actually that bad. Yes, it I'll, was. Okay. I'm
4: going to go ahead and <laughs> not take your word for it.
0: <laughs> Let's go to our lovely friend Wikipedia again. We have one, two, three, four roses. Yeah, Richard went- Fitz? I went to one of those sites and, like, checked, like,
3: who the Rose was in that miniseries, but it just gave me a name and not really any details.
0: Here we go. I've got it right here. The fourth row. Well, let me go through them. Richard Fisk was number one. Sergeant Bloom was number two. He, uh, I don't know when this happened. Uh, Catskills, after he had kidnapped Peter... Parker's Ant-Man and his wife, Mary Jane. mistakenly you think the peaker discovered information that would blow the lid off the Kingpin's organization, thus revealing Bloom as a double agent. The third one was Jacob Conover was a reporter at the Daily Bugle who took up the identity as a payment for saving the life of crime lord Don Fortunato. I mean. Fortunato. There you go. Now, the fourth rose that we've been talking about, Philip Hayes was a doctor, Philip Hayes. He took up the rose persona after he lost his funding... In the gene therapy research after an accident in the Felcorp's laboratory, as a result of which the new heroine, Jackpot, he deals in ebony shipments, a synthesized drug created from corruptor's sweat glands. (laughs) He managed to slip under the superhero radar for a while, but Jackpot was getting close to discovering his involvement after he discovered the secret identity of his opponent through a coincidence resulting from being Sarah Eretz's co-worker. He hires Boomerang to track Sarah down at her house and murders her husband in front of her and, his, and her daughter. He is later arrested unmasked, much to Sarah's shock. Okay, that's the fourth rose. Okay, so, so he was be...
3: arrested, but that actually does sound like uh, the rose in this series because of the okay. the work with gene enhancement, splicing, whatever, since he, you know, gave uh, gave this kid a power upgrade to become Noah St. Okay.
5: Germain. So it's probably the fourth row, there How you go. many people become supervillains because they lose funding for something? That's like the third most used villain origin story. <laughs> <laughs> Do not screw with scientists' money. That is the moral of the story. <laughs> if someone uh, you know who's bit... dangerous starts a Kickstarter campaign, yeah. fund them, or they're going to become a supervillain.
0: <laughs> in, in hindsight, I mean, it took four issues before there's a glimmer of hope to this book, in, in my opinion. What, what, what's your thoughts, Kev? Yeah, um, I, I mentioned – That's it, not good in this market either. God,
3: no. I and I mentioned yeah. in the review that the only other issue of this that I have said these same things about, oh, it's better than the last issue, it shows some promise, was number two. So at this point, we've got a trend where only the even-numbered issues are any good, and yeah. that's a problem, especially if, if number one isn't one of your better issues. You've probably lost uh-huh. a lot of readers already. I and mean, there's a- – I don't know who Bleeding besides cool. me would have would have held out to number four. The only reason I held out to number four of this series is because it's Morbius, and I'm me. I didn't actually like it enough to keep reading.
0: And Bleeding Cool is reporting a rumor that it's not got long for this world, like issue 10 or something. I mean, is honestly, it they... if
3: it made, if yeah. this series made it to issue 10, that's pretty impressive. Right, yeah.
0: It's already been solicited to, what, six or seven, I think.
3: Yeah, four probably two. something like that. Um, and, you know, it, it pains me to say any of this because it's a Morbius series, but it's just the take is wrong. That's that's what it comes yep. down to. The take on the character isn't right, and the story does not – it sucks. The story sucks. That's what I'm trying to say in a more polite way, but there, it, there it is. Right.
0: Alright, uh we got one last one, it's probably a good one. We
3: do. Ultimate Spider Man number twenty two. This is a big one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um Detective Maria Hill definitely does know Miles as Spider Man. I was saying uh last podcast segment that it was ambiguous, but at the beginning of this issue we know for sure she does know Miles as Spider Man. She figured it out. And she points him in the direction of the hospital his dad is at, which is currently being attacked by Venom. Miles fights Venom and just barely wins, but his mom is killed in the crossfire with some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. The man in the Venom symbiote, uh, which I've been questioning this whole time, is revealed uh, to be nobody. <laughs> uh, nobody we've ever heard of, just a dude that works for Roxon, and Roxon is revealed to be trying to create their own Spider-Man. I mean... Roxon is something – is an evil corporate entity Brian Bendis has been building in Ultimate Spider-Man almost since it started. We're talking like 180-some-odd Ro- issues almost of yeah. Roxon's evil, but we don't know what's happening. And finally, They're- I think this is the first time we met Mr. Roxon, who is the star – who is uh, the head of the corporation.
0: Don't they have like oil and stuff like that too? like, like a – well, I know that Roxxon, yeah. the Marvel Universe
3: Roxxon, was uh, in the Scarlet Spider arc, the second master, drilling for oil. Mm-hmm. They um, were
0: also in that uh, Blu-ray special of uh, Agent Coulson where he went and stopped some muggers the at a gas station. Pump. If I you the look last at the, time, the, so the gas pump, yeah.
3: I think the last time we saw Roxon in Ultimate Spider-Man, or at least the last major time that I remember, was the War of the Symbiotes arc in the Peter Parker era, when uh, the Beetle stole a symbiote and delivered it to Roxon. So this is kind of continuing from that. Right. Okay, Kevin,
2: uh, I, I have a question. How did yeah. How did his mother get killed?
3: Uh, she it was in the crossfire with the Shield agents. A bullet went right through her.
2: Did Did they show that? Or did yeah. they show like a bullet hitting her?
3: Yeah, there was one of those, uh, you know, comic book type things where you basically see like a orangey white beam of light going through her. That you know, there are all the other ones flying around her, so I think it's clearly intended to be a bullet.
2: Because that, that was like my issue because I, I legitimately couldn't tell how she, how she was injured. I'm trying, I'm trying to look yeah, to
3: me the- it looked like uh, the original shot that I saw looked like it. It, it was ambiguous as to placement. It looked like it could have been through the shoulder, but um, I mean, obviously, it was in a fatal place.
2: Yeah, obviously
5: um,
3: she did die. Yeah, exactly.
5: I thought so, she had just like ruptured some blood vessels from venom squeezing her and succumbed to the injuries.
3: I mean, I can look at it again, but from what I saw, she was shot in the crossfire.
2: Hmm. I remember like like, like Miles like taking her, and then like like you don't you just see the cop shooting, and then like the next time you see her, she's like bleeding, and like she she bleeds in the shoulder, and then somehow that kills her.
3: I was, well I was, my <laughs> issue is in a long box in the other room does anybody have it handy
2: i'm bringing mine up right now
5: let me boot up the Kindle because don and i we looked at this like and trying to decipher it and i gave it to one of the kids at work to look at too and we couldn't make heads or tails yeah huh. the well, i read
3: one. it i read it once maybe twice for the for the notes but i just i didn't really have a question when i maybe i was filling
2: in what i was supposed to see i don't know I, I mean, I, quite... I wasn't, like, mad at everything, but I was, like, I legit, like, like can't tell whether it was Venom or the cops. But, I mean, I, I suppose at some point it might not matter, but uh, I would like information on it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Anyway, while you guys are looking, I'll finish the uh, the summary here, um, which is not much. In the end, uh, Miles tears up his costume yelling, no more, over and over. So that's, that's where we're left here. That's after he realizes that his mom is dead when he wakes up the next day. Mm, very so... Probably. I'm that one, is a lot. I'm giving this one an A+. Plus. Mm-hmm. And I think it deserves it. It's one of the best issues of this run. I think I had been hot and cold with the Venom War arc, as you've heard, if you've been listening to the Spider Satellites. But this is a great conclusion, and it really does everything right. And one of the coolest things is we get a glimpse of how powerful Miles is when he, he busts out of Venom in a surge of the electricity that goes along with his venom blasts. and Like, like venom absorbed him. And it's just... Venom basically explodes with Spider-Man coming out in this rain of electricity. And, like, we all knew he had the venom blast thing, but I don't think we really saw how powerful he was before that moment. And that's, yeah. that's
0: pretty big. It's almost like the lifting of the uh, the heavy machinery. Yeah, in some I ways.
3: Mean, yeah. I mean, it's that.
0: like... Yeah, if you go for that. Um,
3: but it's also, I think it's also interesting that Maria Hill knows his identity, as I've, uh, as I talked about last month, when it was just, you know, a possibility to me. And I'm looking forward to see where that goes. I mean, I know we're about to do a time jump, but I'm not sure about killing his mom, since one of the things that was interesting and different about Miles from the beginning, and it was something that a lot of people noticed, uh, was that he was a teenage hero that actually has both of his parents. And so we're, we've stopped that now. But I trust Bendis with this character and with this story, so we'll see what happens. But again, it's a time jump. I know. I'm not yeah. sure. Is it a year? Is it one year? Do we
2: know? Do we know that for sure? I don't. I don't think we were given an exact like like a time time window. I, I feel like Bendis it. has been
3: tweeting about it lately, and he might have said one year. But I'm just. Not, I'm not 100 percent sure about that, so I don't want to commit to it. But either way, I know it's a good long time jump. So I. I don't think we have to necessarily. Or at least we don't need to think about exactly what comes right after this because we're about to do something completely different. Yeah, I was uh, going to say
2: that like um, – I don't mean to interrupt. interrupt um, no, no,
3: no. Not at all. Not at all. Go ahead.
2: I was going to say that like I, I'm with you. I was ambivalent on like not only like the announcement that there was a time jump, but when I was reading it and I saw that like the mother was killed, I was a bit ambivalent. But that ending was so damn good that like, you know, yeah. I'm like, totally along with whatever he wants to do.
3: Yeah, I mean it's it is Brian Bendis' character. He created the character. He created everything around it, and he's done a really good job with it over 22 issues. So I'm I'm not going to start questioning the guy now. And it's not just 22 issues that he's done great with Miles. I mean, he did a he did, he did a 160 issue run of Ultimate Spider Man before that that a, had its issues in some places, but mostly I loved. Right. So I'm, yeah. if somebody's going to handle this, I'm interested to see what he wants to do.
0: Right. And here's another bit of news I wanted to hit with Kevin. Um, you could be getting a possible another Spider Satellite book, well, with the exception of that villain book I'd coming say out. we're definitely getting a couple. We're getting a couple that you, you can tackle, but um, uh, sad news because you and I are both fans of this book. X-Factor yeah. is coming to an end. Peter David is wrapping up his, what, nearly 10-year run on that book. Seriously? Uh, not nearly. I
3: think he said it's 10 years.
0: Oh, it, it is ten year. I think what, no? Ten years is what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it started with Madrix in what? oh3 I guess. Yeah.
3: There's the. So, uh, yeah, I think they're basically they're saying this ends the X Factor run he began with. So is that Chris Chris it's making.
4: Yeah, yeah, Chris is upset. upset. Chris upset. likes X Factor too. I do. Yeah. I'm way behind on it. I'm just reading the. Um, oh, the one where they go to Las Vegas now. So, mm, that's
0: good. So uh, the book has been solid for ten years, written by our who one, probably one of my favorite. Uh, writers of all time, Peter David. Now, here's a question. Uh, He said, because he had a cute little video about how it's wrapping up and he's going to have some story arcs with the X-Factor characters. And at the end of his little video he had, I forget where it was posted, he said he has another Marvel project coming out that he hopes people will support.
3: And he can't talk about
0: it yet. And he can't talk about it yet. However, if you look at an interview that Dan Slott did... Uh, at the most recent Chicago Con, uh, he he teases that Spider-Man 2099 is coming back. Yeah, and what what a nice opportunity that would be for an appearance in the Superior Spider-Man to spin it off because Marvel loves Spider-Satellite books. <laughs> Why not try to launch it again with Peter David, who happens to have a space available to write the book?
3: Hell yeah! If we got a, a Peter yeah. David, a new Peter David Spider-Man 2099 book, I. I'm gonna go ahead and predict a lot of A's in my Spider yes. Satellites.
0: Exactly. I love that run from the nineties. I mean he he him writing Spider Man is awesome.
3: And Spider Man twenty ninety nine was it was something special when he did it. It's something that I think nobody else ever quite got, but Peter David yep. made it a great book.
0: They've tried it with that Time Storm thing. I forget who wrote that. It was I didn't care for it. He was okay <laughs> in the ex- exiles book, he was okay. But uh, once he left in the, what, 95 or 96 era, because yeah. they had a big falling
2: out with the afters, etc. Time, and time he, Storm? That's not hilarious. Yeah, he did.
3: It, oh, and uh, it, no, the title was way clunkier than that. It was Time Storm 2009-2099. slash
0: Yeah, it was rough. It was rough. <laughs> and Peter, Peter David uh, loves the character. He wrote the character in his video game, The Edge of Time. He Spider-Man 29 has been in multiple video games recently, and there's still a love for the character, and I think he could sell pretty good. Peter
3: yeah, I mean, if you've been predicting uh, that Amazing Spider-Man is going to come back starring Peter Parker, and Spider-Man 29 is going to star in Superior Spider-Man,
4: I'm not, I, I don't yeah.
3: comment on that prediction either way. But if that did happen and they didn't get Peter David to write it, uh, somebody put up a meme of you're doing it wrong.
2: Good, <laughs> had one job <laughs>
0: Superior Spider-Man 2099 There you go, how does that sound? Yeah, that would be Print the shirts now, Brad was right <laughs> Nostrobramus Bradus or whatever I,
3: I really couldn't give a rat's ass if it's called Superior Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2099 Or it's Spider-Man with the skull on his chest As long as it's Peter David Writing that character, I'm in Yep, no doubt.
0: All right, good, bad, or indifferent months, sir? You know,
3: overall, this was a good month. Uh, we only had four, but it was an A, an A+, plus, a C, and an F-. The, the <laughs> F- minus drags it way down, but if you look at the average, yeah. we're talking two A's and a C, which is, you know, a C is not terrible, it's average. So the F- minus is the outlier overall. Pretty good month of satellites. What was the C again? The C was Morbius. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, we forget that as quickly right. as we should. I do, I do. <laughs> it's just forgettable. It's just, and that is one I of the worst things you can say. But it really is.
0: It is forgettable. Uh,
3: well, I found my Ultimate Spider-Man issue, and I'm taking a look at it here. I'm gonna say right out that I was wrong on what I thought I saw. What I was looking at uh, in those in the panel that I thought I saw was um, the guy that's Venom. Actually, he's getting hit by bullets. It's not his mother at all, so clearly I was just like glancing through those panels. But, um, on the next page, what I think is the significant moment is uh, we have the tentacles start moving. Then the next panel is just a close-up on the guns of two cops saying, What the? And we see a muzzle flash. The next panel is nothing but just like... Muzzle flash, and it's bam 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 bam. And the very next panel after that is her grabbing her shoulder. Next panel, she reveals blood. Next panel, she starts dying. So,
2: her vital shoulder.
3: What's happening here is in that blam 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 when they started firing, when the symbiote tentacles started moving, they hit her. We didn't actually see it on panel, but I think the progression is direct enough that we can say that that's what happened. Still a great issue. Oh, Very uh, good. Yes. I I, guess, yeah. I wanted to clarify that I was wrong about what I thought I saw.
0: And that wraps up this episode. Before we go, I want to give another shout-out to our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. An example of their great prices is on Superior Carnage number one. In this one, Carnage is locked away in the asylum, but his fellow inmates have plans for the symbiote. The cover price is $3.99. Mail order has it for just a buck ninety-nine, which is 50% off the cover price. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. Thanks for listening, gang. I'm your host and webmaster, Brad Douglas, for the Spider Man CrawlSpace.com.